Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. I really love today's episode, and I think it's going to be very helpful and also a very easy listen um, for these times. We have Sada Simone on. He wrote Spiritually Sassy, Eight Radical Steps to Activate Your Innate Superpowers. It's He's such a lovely human, and he talks about his journey um, being of color and queer and coming from Brazil at age 16 and barely speaking English and having to start over and kind of all the different parts he's played and characters he's played until he finally did his own journey and his own work to figure out who he truly was. And his book so beautifully helps people, and we talk a lot about it, how you can actually find out who you are, how you can, you can live from that place. And so many beautiful little tips on how you can live from gratitude and sending blessings, even in times when you can't imagine you want to, like probably right around now, how doing that will slowly activate basically a credit karma, the idea that you start accumulating good credit of your own karma, and then it works for you when you need it. His stories are so fascinating and interesting. So that's why this is such an easy listen because his life has just been really incredible and his energy is just so infectious. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And also, good news, before we wrap this up, we are giving away two copies of Spiritually Sassy. So if you'd like one of Saw's books, which I highly recommend you should take it, it will transform your life in such an easy and delightful read. Um, just go to our social media, go to Den Meditation on Instagram. All the information's on the giveaway post, so go there, it tells you exactly what to do. And if you'd like extra entries, please leave us a review. And you know what, leave us a review anyway, why not? It's always super helpful. But anyway, if you want extra entries, Leave, leave us a review and then send it to dentalkspodcast at denmeditation.com so we can see it and then we know when you automatically get extra entries. All right, great. I hope you love this episode and I know you're going to love the book too. I'm excited to talk to you. Your book is so fun. Plus, I was just excited. You're, you exude so much, like you like to say, joy. And it's lovely, especially at a time like this, to have that. So it doesn't surprise me that your business is booming because I'm sure when people feel like they're falling and falling and falling and get further from their joy, it must be really nice to be around you. Oh, thank you so much, love. This is a, um, it's taken, my friend tell, tells me this sometimes, like it's taken you years of work to be this relaxed and this joyful. Um, work in progress moment to moment, you know, there are days that I still wake up feeling really crunchy or go to bed feeling regret or doubt or holding on to grudges but um that awareness is what has saved me you know that that little glimpse of awareness of like oh at the base of our being we are joyful compassionate wise loving beings no matter what kind of past you've had no matter how turbulent your your mental landscape may be like that is always there a breath away um, so it's been a long, long work in progress to have that constant reminder. And now I can rely on myself, 
you know, I can rely on my mind. And earlier on in my journey, it was, it was always like a, you know, having suicidal thoughts regularly and having these kinds of very turbulent and intoxicating states of mind to actually be here right now and, and be able to rely on myself as my own best friend. Um, it's pretty revolutionary. Um, and it's, it's really what gives me the, the, the power and the strength to speak loud and clear and be bolder and, and more flamboyant and, 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 you know, in all the ways possible for people to really recognize that that is our birthright. That is what human beings have, you know, at the base of their being. And that's what drew me to Buddhism is that knowing that basic goodness, that Buddha nature, that, that baseline that's there for everyone that I no one told me about growing up, you know, everyone said, accumulate, get all this stuff and you're going to be happy. And I was like, shit, okay, um, I'll do that. And then I did it while in the fashion industry at 23, you know, started a magazine and went forward and we're surrounded by all these celebrities, all this stuff, had all this money, all these things, the big house, all this stuff. And then when I was about certain 28, it was all taken away from me. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, whoa, what, what, what do I do now? Um, Talk about like when you, first of all, where were you raised? Brazil. Brazil. And then when did you move to the States? 16. Wow. I mean, that's a tough time to move. Terrible. (laughs) Extremely traumatic. Oh my God. It was like, really, there was a period of extreme rage and anger towards my parents. Like, I thought we're coming to Disneyland and we're going back to our, to living our lives. No, honey, Disneyland, first of all, is not happening. And then you're going to go into work. 16, go. Clean houses, construction, all the, you know, all the immigrant jobs that were available to us. Why did, why did your parents move? Why did they want to move here? Uh, lost the business in Brazil. Yeah. And then a friend of my mom, my, my dad had a clothing store. My family had a clothing store, multiple clothing stores. We were living a really, uh, um, you know, financially um, beautiful life, you know, to a degree. Um, and then a, a variety of, of, of things happen. Um, I've actually never spoken on the record about this, so this is cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there was you know, a variety of, 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 of things that happened in the business. And then one of my mom's, uh, one of my, my our parents, um, people who worked at the store said, hey, I'm moving to America to work there. Um, as a as a house uh, cleaner and it's really good money you should consider Um, and then my mom said okay I'm gonna do it and then she came to America and uh, she came alone for a whole year and it was really difficult for all of us and then after a year we all uh, then then came after and and it's been uh, you know a wild journey Uh, and that you know, really challenging and traumatic event of having to uproot and leave everything behind um, really brought us closer together. I think a lot of people look at our families like, wow, I want that. You guys have it so easy. You guys are all so close. You talk to your mom every day. Your, your siblings are always in your life. You guys are, you share everything with them. It's again, the same thing I spoke about joy earlier on. It's been a long, uh, beautiful work in, in, in progress and it continues to be, you know, they were here a couple of weeks ago uh, here in LA, where I currently live, and we've had one of the most beautiful times as a family ever. Uh, it was this this one dinner where we we're just so alive and so joyful and so um, you know celebrating each other. 
Um, so that's a little bit about that. And then after I moved to Florida, I, I was really had an extremely traumatic and difficult time there. So when I turned 19, I said, I'm getting the F out of here. And then I moved to LA um, and lived in LA from 19 to 21 or something like that. And then I moved to New York and then New York, after New York, went to India in the spring of 2014. And I spent um, spring of 2014 to summer 2016 traveling around that region and just really, um, really lost, you know, looking for myself and uh, looking for, you know, to just like realign to, to everything that I had started to like dabble about and be curious about and slowly, slowly things started to like make sense. Talk to me, so when you moved at 16 to Florida, so it was yeah. Florida, mm -hmm. did you speak English? Did you like? I spoke a little bit of English. I, we had gone to English schools our whole life. Yeah. Um, so I could understand, but speaking was so challenging. And somehow the way my grades translated to America, I had all these like AP classes, honor classes. It was like a, a wild. And I would have like full on panic attacks when the teacher would ask me to speak. I would, you know, do everything I could to like leave the class whenever the teacher would go around, everybody reading. It was, it was, and, and then also think about this in, in the high school in Florida where most people are white um, and, and being, you know, queerly uh, expressed, it was just not something that was out there. Everybody knew the one uh, queer person in the school and everybody always had this little under their breath commentary about, about them. And so I was forced to, to perform several different roles to, to survive, you know. Were you out? I wasn't, yeah. So when, like, when did you come out? When I was 23. When I started the magazine and I had all this, like, you know, quote, unquote, power and money and stuff to show for, I said, now I'm worthy. Here, I wrote my mom a letter and I said, come to New York. I have something to tell you. Yeah. And you saw, and how did it go? Uh, it was fine. At that point, I was, I was just so not present, you know, to the experience. I just wanted to, like, check it off my list, just do it. Um, and, and in my mind, it was more like, let me just do it for you to, like, I had created this, like, internal nightmare around the idea of how it was going to go. And in my mind, I wanted them to say, we don't love you, uh, because I, that was the story that I had playing in my mind. You don't love me for who I am. So in my mind, the, the idea was like, let them fulfill the nightmare that I had created internally for me that, that I had fabricated in my mind. But it didn't go like that. Mom was like, I love you, honey. I've always did. You know, you're fine. I love every part of you. Um, but it's only in the last few years that they've spoken um, about my, uh, you know, about dating. And it's only in the last few months, actually, that my dad is asking me these questions. Um, so it's pretty revolutionary. You know, it's, it's, it's taking um, enormous amount of patience on my end, enormous amounts of compassion on my end uh, to, to be able to just hold where they're at in their timeline, you know, and be able to really just understand that the way they were raised is radically different than how I've been raised, um, the societally, you know, like what's around our, our conditioning. So yeah, very challenging, very challenging. About two things on that. A, can you talk about what it was about how you were raised that made you start that internal dialogue of like, they don't value me or love me for who I am. Yeah. And 
also afterwards talk a little bit about because I, I think it's so important that idea that what you just said is it took so much patience for me to allow them to be where they are because I do feel like that's where so so many times it goes south mm-hmm. is because of this expect expectation for people to be somewhere and if they're less than that that's right it's not right that's right you know, in your mind so talk but first talk about like the things with that when you were raised yeah like, I mean. I think for every queer person or person of color too, I think it it, it kind of addresses to both. Uh, like systemically, we've been marginalized, oppressed. You know, systemically, we've had to perform these roles uh, to survive, to to receive love. You know, uh, to receive care. So I've had to like play multiple different personalities: one at home, one at school, one with my friends, and I had to keep up with all of that. Like this way of operating, it was deeply disembodied. I can it, it even like triggers a little burst of anxiety in my belly as I'm talking about it. Um, so systemically, it's just you know homophobia, queerphobia in general. It's just been you know part of our our, our societal conditioning. Talk about like what are what were the roles you felt like you were playing? Well, at home I had to play the the boy who liked girls. I had to be that, and I had to like sort of like stand in a way, speak in a certain way, talk about certain things that I liked that fit their view of what what they thought I should be. Um, at school, it was me trying to fit in with 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 the guys, right, and me trying to fit in with um, a new country, a new culture and not speaking the language. And I mean, honey, all the things that I've done, poor thing, oh, that little sa, so much love for you, honey. And then out, uh, when I was out with friends, um, I was, the people who supported me and opened up friendship to me and connection were the, the outsiders, the, the ones in the fringe, the ones who didn't feel like they could fit into to the system either. Uh, and what we did, we just got high, drunk and high. So I've had a history with drugs and alcohol from a very young age because that was the only thing that, one, helped me to relax, two, helped me to forget, and three, helped me to, to you know, be more myself and not have this inner, I call it Bianca in the book, this vicious inner critic voice constantly narrating my every step and overthinking my every word, my every action. It also gave you friendship. It did to a degree. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, it gave me friendship. But, you know, it's looking back, uh, you know, all of it, it's all these traumatic uh, connections that I've had and, and challenges that I've had. They've all been massive blessings, you know. Um, I, I don't talk to anyone from those from those days, you know. Um, you know, and, it, and it's funny, we were talking about this. I was just sharing with someone who I'm currently, like, seeing more intimately about one of the friends that I've had, the longest friend that I've had, you know, it, when you grow up in this small town in Brazil, you kind of go through the same schools as, as, as a child, middle school, high school, you, and college, and you live in the same town. You kind of never, never leave. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but one of these guys who I adored as a close friend, he posted on Facebook when there was a couple of friends who came to America to visit me when I was like 19. I just moved out to LA and we went on a road trip. I ended up going out that night, getting like blackout drunk. I woke up the next morning with all these hickeys. By the way, this is a birthmark. 
I woke up the next morning with all these hickeys in my neck. And this, the bartender at this, this hostel we're staying at woke up with all these hickeys too. And the friends sort of put together that him and I had been together that night. Um, it's kind of a funny, hilarious, kind of ridiculous story. And then they ended up traveling with me for a little bit longer, but they told this guy that I, that I was like officially gay. And then he wrote on Facebook, you are a monster, all caps. And that was really, really traumatic, you know, because I didn't have the opportunity to like, uh, reintroduce myself to the world. You know, this introduction happened um, without my consent. And that was really difficult too. So it's been, you know, stepping into your queerness is, is like a day-to-day -day thing, honey. It's just like a moment-to-moment -moment practice of just, you know, reintroduction and relaxation into your being and, and, and embodying uh, yourself so much that you become a permission slip so everyone who sees me now are like, I, wanna, I want that relaxation. I want that joy. I want that embodiment. Um, yeah, that's a little bit of, on that. One of my favorite things you talk about in the book, actually, is how when you totally embody yourself and become yourself and can live with this freedom and this joy, without even realizing it, you're giving people who walk into a room the same permission. That's right. That's so lovely because I think that's something people underestimate. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize, like, you don't have to necessarily be someone who physically tells people you can be yourself. It's just by being yourself, whatever version of that is, you're literally subconsciously allowing others to do the same. And that's a huge gift. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, you look at scientific research that shows that 90% of communication is nonverbal. So I speak to that a lot. I speak about spiritually sassy being a state of being, you know, and this state of being communicates, it ripples far and wide. You walk into a supermarket embodied, relaxed within yourself, you know, in connection to your Buddha nature, in connection with your heart, you're communicating safety, you're communicating creativity, you're communicating belonging, connection, ease. And I think that's what we all want, right? Is to, is to feel like we belong, is to not stand, is to not um, non-verbally communicate that I'm better than you and you're there and I'm here, that kind of like, that's such an old way of, 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 of being, you know? And I was so that in my old days in fashion. I really, you know, pride myself and putting myself on this pedestal, so unwholesome, so destructive, so harmful, uh, to then be on the other side now where like, I do my very best effort to check in with the quality of my breath. If my breath is clavicular and short and shallow, I'm not communicating safety. I'm not communicating belonging. I'm not communicating connection. I'm communicating the polar opposite. Um, so checking in with the breath, checking in with the kind of thoughts that I'm entertaining, checking in with the kind of feelings that I'm allowing to, to be the indicator of my reality. Um, and these are sort of some of the pillars that help you to indicate what's non-verbally communicated about you. That's really incredible. And it's so true. So much is non-verbal. I used to travel to countries where I wouldn't speak the language by myself and have these incredible experiences. I'd be saying bye to people, crying and hugging and realizing we actually never had a full on <laughs> conversation because neither of us speak each other's language. But it's like, by the time we left, it's like, we I felt like I had millions of conversations. That's it's actually, right. it's really interesting. It, when you talk about the, you know, and it's so interesting hearing like all these roles you had to play. And I know so many people can relate to this and for different reasons, whether it's queer or not. I think a lot of people felt like they had to play different roles in their lives. 
And that's the problem, not then knowing who they are. And so like you were saying, until you can figure out who you are and embody who you are, I mean, that's when the true freedom comes. When you look back on your life, any part of your life, where do you see moments of who you are now? Or do you not at all? Uh, I mean, several moments of, of just, I think the curiosity about being happy, the curiosity about um, clarity, the curiosity about Eastern philosophy. I think those, you know, questions, those moments of curiosity were the ones who sort of like led me to where I'm at today. I think a big part of us not, uh, not ever entertaining, uh, trusting our truth is because we're not listening to that part of us, that curious part of us that's leading us forward, that's saying, hey, this, this question might lead you towards a lot, of, a lot of difficulty and challenges, but you know that once you start to land at these answers, the truth will arise. The, what lives at the base of your being will shine brightly. Um, so I think a, a, lot of, a lot of the times we don't follow through with the things we're curious about because it goes back to the same thing we, we speak about often. We're not embodied because we're afraid we're going to be judged. We're not being bold, bright, fierce, loud, ses- sassy, and sexy because we're afraid of how people are going to uh, judge us, what they're going to say about us. Um, so, and, you know, and then, of course, like the, the low, low, low moments of depression that I've had. You know, I've had my first debilitation uh, by depression when I was 16, two weeks in bed. Um, wow. and, and then my mom took me to a witch doctor. She took me to this Colombian dude who was going to read the iris of my eye. How epic was that? That my mom was such an iconic, legendary, beautiful healer herself that she decided to, to take me to this doctor, to this witch doctor who would then prescribed me a set of herbs. And within a couple of weeks, I, I would be out of bed and back to, uh, to a more stable um, and, and calibrated state of mind and, and body. Um, but that, you know, and then later on to who I am as like this, this teacher, this guy that I am now, um, I didn't fully understand this uh, into much later, into one of my, into, into one of these radical saints that I studied with said, honey, you're going to teach this stuff. So you better go deep and start, start purifying your speech. And then he gave me a tantric mantra for purification of speech. Um, and I was like, whatever, like, I'm just happy I got to meet you. I'm happy I got to experience all this. This amazing story that I'm going to go back to my New York crowd and tell. Little did I know that, like, the more I transformed my mind, the more I energized my body, the more I had these glimpses of, of this heart um, awakefulness, the more I was, it was a natural next step that I was going to teach. And the more I realized that is, it was in teaching that I would continue my healing. And it was in, in the more I healed, the more I could, you know, sustain these, this larger impact. Uh, so it became a very sustainable, um, um, you know, circle, but I had no idea. I had multiple times these incredible radical saints telling me these things. And I would be like, honey, this is for me. I'm selfish and I'm okay with my selfishness. I'm doing this for myself. I need to get out of this hole. I can't even ever think about contemplating, um, you know, the well-being of other people. She said, I don't have the mental capacity for that. But slowly, slowly, you realize that, you know, you find God and you find healing and you find transformation in service to others. You know, it's in altruism is at the base of our being. It's part of our genetic makeup. It's, it's, it's part, of our, of our, part of our essence. 
When do you remember the first time you felt like you were in service for someone of someone else? First time I was in service to someone else, it was really noticing how much money I had in my wallet in India, because you pull out money at the ATM and you're walking around with a stash. It's like, it's like, what the hell do I do with all this? I don't even know what to do with it. It doesn't fit in my wallet, first of all. And then I'm walking, you know, from my guest house to the temple for my practices. And, and I have all these beggars in these different villages that I lived at, you know, begging for food and literally a plate of food for them. is like 25 cents, 25 us cents. So I would be like, let's take $5, whatever that amount is. And let's just go off to the, to the close um, Dow place and just feed everybody. And I remember like, you know, uh, you know, filling up a whole table with all these moms and all their babies in their, in their um, arms and feeding them. And I would just stand back and, and noticing like how good it made me feel and how good it made them feel. And then I would notice the byproduct of that, the moments after, and maybe some of the hours later, the state of, I'm getting chills, I'm saying this, the relaxed state of mind that I would enter into, you know, the, how vibrant the colors were. I would, I would no longer, ooh, I'm getting full body chills. My God, thank you for bringing, calling this memory back. Mm. Yeah, I remember no longer, the, my mind was no longer looking out for threats, no longer looking out for mistakes, no longer looking out for ugliness and flaws and, and, and problems. My mind with moments after, and like I said, sometimes hours after, uh, you know, moments of service like that, my mom, my mind would be, you know, uh, listening in for, for love songs and seeing beauty and, and harmony, the most traumatic sort of circumstances. And I was like, oh shit, this is what the mystics have taught. They've talked about it. This is what all this ancient, uh, uh, scriptures have really led to. So I just continue to practice that. And then I went to, um, you know, and then a big moment came when I realized the sustainability that was happening inside of me was when I was living at the Omega Institute as a volunteer, totally lost with all these tools, with all this wisdom. Um, it, but no, I had no idea, like, how do I, how do I make money? How do I go back into the city? Like, could this become a business? Could I really genuinely help people with what I have? So I was living at the Omega Institute, upstate New York as a volunteer, working at the cafe, and, you know, uh, people would come in to get their lattes, uh, participants, and I would just drop in a little something here and there, and then we'll have this connection. They would come and, like, leave, me, leave a note or tell my manager about this and that. And I was like, oh, that's cute. You know, that's, that's sweet. And then I remember hanging out with, with the cafe crew for, like, one uh, thing that they were, that they were having as, as the cafe staff. And one of the big managers, the very intimidating one that everybody was, like, afraid of, she had a, 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 a argument with her partner. And I just remember, I don't remember exactly what I said to her that really unlocked something within her. She's like, yo, you should teach this stuff that you know. And then I said, all right, like how? She's like, you should send, you know, the, the director of, the, of, 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 of here, whatever, in this, in this department and see if they will be open to have you teach what you know. Not for the participants, but teaching for the staff. And I don't know if you know if anyone knows about the Omega Institute, uh, but it's a huge retreat center, uh, one of the biggest in the world. And they have the staff. There is anywhere from like a hundred to a couple hundred people living there all um, through a season. So when you teach a class to the staff, you're teaching to a lot of people. 
I teach the class. This is Thursday. I ended up putting the application in. He said, come do it. Saturday, I'm teaching the class, a three-hour class called the Happiness Equation. I just decided to put everything I knew into this class. Yeah. I think 40 people came. The feedback was wild. Nobody wanted to leave. We were just talking and, and, and giggling. It was just like amazing love fest. And then after that, I felt like, oh, wow. I have so much, like, I have so much internal fire right now that I could do all over again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Uh, so that's when I knew that I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. How were you terrified to put together the class? I was terrified, but also just so excited. You were? Oh, so excited. Yeah. I mean, because I think a big part of like, uh, what writing, you know, spiritually sassy and stepping to the role of a guide now has become for me is to translate in a way that's digestible, translate in a way that's that's playful, translate in a way that's that's really joyful and 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 filled with humor. You know, I had sort of like interpreted uh, people on the spiritual path. I had equal. I had you know. Uh, seen as people who were disciplined seekers of 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 of, um, of of spirituality and healing transformation, had equated them to this zombie zen. You know what I speak to? This like very forced seriousness. Talk like this. Walk like this. Eat like that. If things are beautiful, you just. Yeah. You know, if things are funny, you just. You know, it's it really this like really somber and the zombie Zen style of being totally missed the plot, totally missed the plot because the radical saints, these masses, iconic living beings that I had an opportunity to study with, they were making us laugh throughout the whole entire journey. But I wasn't, uh, I wasn't connecting to them at that degree. I was connected to the students. I was connected to the people in the audience and seeing the people who were there and and the vast majority of them were were straight white people and for them what was healing for them was to embark on this zombie zen practice of 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 really like that namaste my name is sadi simon namaste stuff like that but then when i realized that what i was teaching was it was a translation that was more joyful more uh more accurate to the world we live in today um, I realized like, oh shit, honey, there's something here that I must do. And the more I stepped into my fullness, the more I realized that, um, that, you know, this four seriousness works for certain people, um, uh, but it doesn't work for all of us, especially all of us who felt alienated in the spiritual path, who've never felt like we can enter. I mean, I remember being at a 30 day meditation retreat in Nepal in Kathmandu with these iconic living saints, right? And looking around 250 people and I could count on my fingers the amount of people of color. I could count on my fingers the queerly, uh, the queer folk, the express folk in there, you know? And I would find myself sort of subduing my light, subduing my playfulness, my joy, my, 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 you know, who I am at the base of my being to sort of fit in. And at some point I said, F this, I'm tired of dragging my throne to these tables and having people, one of two ways would happen. They would sort of do it non-verbally and would still feel like a violation to my being, it would still feel like a microaggression or they would say it out loud. Like what? They, huh? Like what? Give me an example. Like, oh, what are you doing here? Do you have this? You have that? Have you done this and this and that? Like how, what, what are you doing here? This role is for these people. And I'm like, Excuse me, can I curse a little bit? 
Oh, thousand percent. Okay, perfect. I was like, bitch, who the fuck are you? Like, I belong here, honey. Like, I belong here. Do I need to tell you my credentials? How often I've met with this saint in privately? No, because I don't need to do that kind of shit. You know, but I felt myself having to prove myself that I belonged there. And it brought back all the old queer narratives, begging for approval, begging to belong, begging to be loved. And I said, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to just drag my throne into, into this other place right here. I'm going to create a table that everyone who never felt like they belong, belong here and are radically celebrated for being, for being who they truly are. And that's how the Spiritually Sassy movement came about. That's how the Spiritually Sassy uh, book came about. It was about this radical need to create a home for everybody who, who, who been told they're too much, you're too this, you're too that, or for everybody else who said you're not enough. And you never amount to anything. No, I look, it's one of the things I loved about your book. And you say it right up top, which is this is not going to be the like love and light it away. This is not spiritual bypassing. No. <laughs> I really wanted to talk to you about it because I think especially right now, it is so important. I've had this conversation a couple times on this podcast about what's happening in the wellness community and a little bit of you know, between the Q stuff happening and I think when, you know, you know, like the George Floyd stuff happened. And it's like the community started kind of bifurcating in a weird way. And there became a bunch of people choosing to do the like, we're all one, this is love and light. And others that wanted to be a little bit um, stronger with their voice in that regard. And I feel like it's interesting because I do think in some ways there's a backlash happening in the wellness community of people just feeling like, well, it's just all bullshit. Now I'm just going to only do critical thinking. This is ridiculous because it's telling you not to do critical thinking. And I love that I find what your book is, which is what I believe, and it's why I opened the den. And I hope anyone who comes to the den gets it. That's what we're, we're about too, is it's a combination of both. Like you're given this earthly you know, lifetime to use your earthly possessions. And one of them is the mind, which is, and it's tricky. And I think what you do so beautifully is you talk about that heart and mind connection a lot in the book, and we can talk a little bit more about it and how to do that balance. But I mean, your book is as much of a gift of critical thinking of anything. I mean, you literally give people like worksheets mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. to actually take what how to actually use the mind so it helps you versus allowing the mind to kind of get in the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important to talk about right now because I do feel like that idea of like, it is very easy to lose yourself in spirituality. People, mm -hmm. you know, people go there to find themselves. But if you don't go there with the purpose of wanting to get to know yourself and owning yourself, or if you're not being taught to actually get to know your true self, um, you're just going to get more lost just in this kind of bubble of what appears to be positivity. That's right. And that doesn't take you anywhere. It just might take you floating in a positive cloud for a while, but that's like a drug in itself. It's not reality. Right. And, and I always said the same thing about the den. It's like, if you come here for quick fixes, that's not what's going to happen. Sometimes it gets harder before it gets easier. Right. And it's funny what's happening now. Sorry to like talk for a little bit. Like, no, please do, honey. But what's, what's happening now, I feel like, oh my God, this is everything I used to say of why I started the den feels like it's so poignant because what I used to say, it's why there were multiple lineages. It's why I didn't want it to just be one thing. It's why we didn't put, even though I have Buddha heads like around there, we didn't just put a Buddha head in, you know, or Buddha statue in the den because I wanted to be multi-lineage. I wanted people to have this freedom of 
do what works for you, see what works for you, and then go deeper in you. I used to say, come as you are and leave feeling better and more yourself. Like that's mm -hmm. Say it loud, honey. Yes. The whole point is like, get to know yourself. And I can't tell you what's going to be the best thing for you. Like try it and see what synthesizes for you. And by the way, it shifts, it changes because you shift and change. And I, I, it's so important for people to know that is part of getting to know yourself and like spirituality can be part of that. It doesn't have to only be critical thinking, but critical thinking is, I guess I've always been an analytical critical thinker. So for me, I'm like, of course it's part of it. It's like, once you get to know yourself, then you need this to be like, all right, let's get shit done. Let's that's make it. Right. Um, but I love that. I love that that's your message. And I love that that was a huge part of your book. I mean, you start it that way and then you execute it by literally giving people critical ways of thinking to help synthesize all of the thoughts. Um, but talk a little bit more about the role of critical thinking and talk about the mind-heart connection because you said somewhere in the book, and I really loved it, and I'm probably misquoting it, or maybe this isn't the exact quote, but you said something to the effect of like, your mind is actually going, you're, you are always you. Like we're always who we are at the core. You might not know it, you might not have been in touch with it, but it's there. Mm -hmm. The mind is what you can change. The you, you can't change. You are you, you gotta find it. The mind is what you can change to help you be closer to your you. Mm -hmm. Right, you said something to that effect, which I really loved. And then you gave people ways to actually work with the mind and change it. But like, talk about the heart-mind connection. Yeah, I mean, I, the, 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 the mind and the heart are indistinguishably one. So they're one of the same. And as we work, as we use the mind to get to know the most awakened part of us, which is the heart. And in Buddhist uh, philosophy, the lineage that I study, Tantric Buddhism, it says that it lives here at the center of our being, right there at the heart space, where the, this beautiful area right here, oh, just like touching it there. You know, if you're listening to us, like put your right hand over your heart and just, that is what we're speaking to right there. You know, it's using everything we have, all of our circumstances, external ones and internal seasons that, that, that will play out, you know, moment to moment, to get to know the most awakened part of us and using critical thinking and, and, and analysis and, but to or, always using critical thinking and this analysis towards the orientation of the heart. If solutions are not arising that support the qualities of the heart, which I speak so in detail about the heart, meaning the Brahma Viharas, right? Love, compassion, wisdom, and joy, which are the four qualities that live at the base of our being. If your critical thinking is not orienting you towards development and amplification of these four qualities of the heart, you've missed the plot. If your critical thinking is leading you towards more anxiety, more doubt, more panic, more trauma, then you've missed the plot. You know, it's really about orienting the mind towards the direction of the heart. And at some point that you're going to have intimately experienced the heart quality so much you're going to, that, that it will amplify and it will touch everything you think, say, feel, do. Um, and that's the goal, right? And I think what you said earlier on about this love and light stuff, it's people become so intoxicated with the good feelings that their self-care practices bring them that again, they miss the plot, which is to become you know, genuinely altruistic. The whole purpose of the spiritual path is to awaken altruism. The whole, that's that's my, my goal and my lineage of studies. It's to, to genuinely and sustainably think about the well-being of others. Think about how your gifts, how the, the you 
the capital U, right? The you, I'm not talking about the you that you think you are, the you that you feel that you are. I'm talking about the you that lives at the base of your being. That you, um, and, and really allowing that you to, to uh, you know, to be in such communion with the heart in such a way that then you are being altruistic in everything you do. But finding that is the work of the spiritual path. It's like developing your heart quality so much that then you step into the role of being the genuinely authentic you in such a beautiful way that you don't need to be a spiritual teacher or meditation teacher. You can make jewelry. How we got onto this, how we got onto the podcast, the first thing I said, excuse me, what's this on your finger, honey? Because that is a symbol of awakening. That is a symbol of, 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 of enlightenment, one could say. You could write music. You could play a beautiful plate. You could, you know, brew a delicious cup of coffee. Like, being on the path of spirituality and, and letting altruism ooze out of your being will look different for everybody. But the important part of it is, is that you're thinking about the well-being of others, that you are radically and, and utterly really developing yourself so you can become of benefit to all beings. That, that's the end prayer in every single school of thought in the Buddhist path, you know, the three main schools of thought. Um, this is really the foundation of the work is to become, you know, um, and I say the book is really about like making altruism sexy. Um, and, and we have to, to recognize that within the mind, we have all of our karmic imprints. We have all the mental tendencies. We have all the stuff that's, that's carried through all of our past lives into all of our future lives until we become completely free. And instead of getting carried away and orienting our mind towards this destructive, unwholesome states of mind and behavior and creating more of this unwholesome karma, it's to really radically change your relationship. And the part of the spiritual path is this complete um, unlearning of this old, of old, this old uh, perspective that, that we have and to bring about this perspective that sees harmony in the chaos, that sees beauty in the, the most traumatic of circumstances. And I think a big part of the movement that we're experiencing now is um, I think there is a moment that we have to say enough is enough. For how much longer am I not going to forgive all these motherfuckers that have caused me tremendous pain and caused the whole world tremendous pain? You know, and we can't tell people of color and, and, and queer people, it, enough is enough now, honey, come on. But we can only hold space for them to know when is enough enough for them to move on to the next stage and then continue to orient their mind back into their hearts. I think there's just tremendous amount of trauma taking place in the world right now that it's becoming um, easier to, to dwell and ruminate, ruminate in that space, and especially with the divide that we're seeing in the spiritual community and, and using critical thinking to, to ruminate uh, or catastrophize rather than to orient your mind towards the here and now, where solutions live. There's no way to heal the past with critical thinking, I'm sorry. There's no way to, to heal the past with overthinking the past. You can only heal the past with the here and now. You can only hear the past once you bring your mind into the present moment. In the now, your heart awakens. And, in the, and with that awakefulness, then you have access to your best qualities. You're letting go of the tight grip of the past or the, the worries about the future. Um, but it's our job on the spiritual path to hold space for everybody who's having a really you know, difficult time. And slowly, slowly, this, this when is enough enough will arise for them. Um, and, and, and then we can all sort of orient our minds into the here and now and create a beautiful future. Um, and, 
And I'm not talking about a future of love and light, honey. I'm talking about a future that queer people can walk down the streets and not be, um, you know, criticized. I'm talking about a future where, where, where black and brown folks have equal rights across every single system that we operate under. I'm talking about a, a place where, where uh, everyone that's been on the fringe, everyone who's been systemically marginalized, um, recognize that they too have this this beautiful potential at the base of their being and everyone listening to this if you're entering supermarkets and 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 banks and and driving down the street whatever and you're putting yourself on the pedestal unintentionally right you see someone at a supermarket and you're not even engaging with them because you are listening to this podcast or you're not even engaging with them because you're on your phone scrolling what's sad doing on instagram let me check right now if you have not landed eyes with their eyes for a glimpse of a second and you have not wished them to be well and you have not recognized that they have the same potential that you and i have to be free of suffering and to be happy you've missed the plot of the spiritual path you can meditate for years on end but you're if you're not orienting your mind towards that that you've honey you gotta go back gotta go back and begin again Sorry for the interruption. Just a couple of cool things. Um, like I said before, you're probably loving Saw. So if you're loving him, there's a chance to get his book. We're doing a giveaway. So go to our social media page, go to Den Meditation on Instagram, and all the information is there. And if you want extra entries, just leave us a review and send it to Den Talks Podcast at denmeditation.com. Also, don't forget, we have our teacher training and it's virtual. So wherever you are listening to this, if you want to do it, I know so many years past, people have been like, I can't make it all the way there. We're doing it virtually this time. So go on to denanywhere.com. The link is there. You can apply. It starts in January. It goes through the spring. It's easy. You can make time for it. You can deepen your practice. It's going to be an unbelievable experience, whether you want to be a teacher or you don't. It just really helps you find your voice in this world. And actually, again, if you don't want to be a teacher, it really helps your practice. If you do want to be a teacher, you find your voice in an incredible way. Um, we hope we see you there. So go to denanywhere.com and apply. You know, you said something in the in the podcast, you said something in the book also that was very helpful and very small. And it's what you just said here, which is you, you know, just like you were talking about forgiving people, it's also the idea of, you know, if you're having a moment of extreme happiness or calmness or whatever it is to take a beat, even if it's in your head to say, I wish that mm. all people could be experiencing this. Now. Yeah. When people ask me, how do you sustain uh, such happy states? Um, for most of the time, you know, it's, it's pretty wild to be where I'm at right now. It's this, also the season that I'm in, right? This internal season that I'm in, that things are more easeful and, and happiness is more of a default. But that is where uh, compassion really lives, right? It's you, when people ask about, I, when people say I'm being compassionate, I'm like, describe compassion. Describe compassion, please tell me what it means to you, honey. Um, and then when people ask me about it, I'm saying that is the most compassionate act you could do. It's that, it's that moment when you feel this complete relaxed state of mind where a miracle has taken place, right? Where it's like people, uh, they're hoping for miracles in ways that they can see with their eyes and their face, but the miracles are happening every moment, right? You woke up feeling crunchy and depressed and an hour later you're feeling relaxed and at ease. With that miracle that took place imagine if you actually took a moment there and say i wish this relaxation this ease to reach the the minds of all people with no exception keyword with no exception 
you know that is what i think becomes really faulty and glitchy for the spiritual path it's like i could be nice to everybody who comes to the den because they're nice they look this way they talk this way everyone's on the same journey that i am everyone has the same social status that i do we all make the same amount of money it's like bullshit now let's see if you can offer that healing to people in the largest refugee camp in the world in South Sudan. Let's see if you can offer that relaxation and ease to the, to, the, to the challenging people in the United States government right now. Let's see if you can offer that to all people in, in death row. You know, Let's see if you can just expand your field of compassion to that degree, right? That is compassion. That is a, a compassionate state of mind. That is how you cultivate sustainable happiness. It's with these moments when, and when it arises within you, it, it overwhelms you. I mean, I have moments when I'm crossing the street where I literally enter into this, what I call a spiritual blackout. It, it feels like my eyes roll the back of my head and I, I have to just sort of be like, hopefully I won't get run over, but like this moment right here, I have to offer it to all people everywhere with no exception. I don't get run over. I think there's, you know, a miracle happening, like karmically blessed in that moment. But I have to stop at as, as it arises. There's no, there's not a moment of relaxation and ease that I don't offer it. And that is where, where, where you continue to, to cultivate the seeds at the base of your being who, are, who will continue to help you to awaken your heart and get rid of the weeds that are cluttering the beautiful flowers that resemble your heart at the base of your being. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's such a tiny little thing you can do that has huge implications. I also feel like while you were talking, I think the idea, if you can commit to saying with no exceptions, it might teach you indirectly where your exceptions lay. Oh my God, yes. We have so many of them, honey. Ooh. <laughs> and like we, a lot of us pretend we don't, but we all have them. And sometimes they're far, you don't realize it. So yeah. I do feel like that's an, probably another really... Um, beautiful benefit of that exercise too is you might actually start to learn that's critical thinking right there you're using orientation of the heart for critical thinking as you say it you'd be like oh no not these people oh not them oh not them and one practice that i speak to in the book too is it's actually like as you enter these places and as your mind is scattered and it's really agitated and you're feeling all the feels and you're just really like oh really wild moment for you internally you're crunchy as fuck <laughs> See if you can pause, breathe, and go one by one. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you, be. you don't need to say it out loud. Say it in your mind. Say it in your mind. That blessing that you're offering them, it's, it's twofold within you, honey. And you look at scientific research that shows that thinking of, you know, having positive thoughts towards other people, it, it really restructures the architecture of your brain. So it, there's nothing woo about my work at all. That's how I, I embarked on this journey too, having... You know, I remember, I remember the Dalai Lama was going to do a talk in New Delhi with all these quantum scientists and these neuroscientists. And it was only, only for this uh, university um, and, and it was only for Indian students, but I was determined to get in, honey. You know, New Yorker here, I was like, I'm not getting a no for an answer, honey. I'm going to fucking go to this thing. I don't care what happens. So I kept going back to the school three days in a row, trying to talk to the right person, see if I could pay somebody, see if I could, whatever could I do to get into this place. And on the last day, uh, one of the students saw me really defeated and just approached me and said, what's wrong? I was like, I really want to come to this conference and I can't get in. He's like, oh, it's funny because I'm the person organizing it. So you can come in. I was like, fuck. If, if, if karma isn't the most fucking epic natural law, then I don't know what is, you know? 
And in that moment, I was able to get a pass and come in. And the very next morning, there's literally a thousand people in a U like this. And the Dalai Lama's coming. His holiness Dalai Lama's coming in with the, the, the whole entourage, right? He comes in like a president, like with the bodyguards, the whole thing. And he's walking around all these people. And I bow down and I say, which is just like a greeting in Tibet, you know? And I'm bowing down. He stops in front of me, touches my face. And I just gag. I'm like, and then he moves on. And I'm like, you can't make this shit up. Is that your it, Oh my God. You can't make this shit up. It's like when you are cultivating, you know, the, your benevolence, your kindness, your tenderness, your sweetness, moment to moment as best you possibly can, then life becomes a fucking miracle. Then it really just plays out in this beautiful way where like every moment, then it's a moment of celebration. Every moment's a moment of beauty, but you gotta constantly orient the mind toward these benevolent states of mind and not orient, not, it's not bypassing them. It's not saying, no, I'm not experiencing them. It's not saying, no, I'm not, I don't feel this. It's, it's recognizing that, yeah, these destructive um, and, and, and highly seductive thoughts and feelings are real, but they're not true. I think the big thing is what's real versus what's true. It's a big uh, problem that we have. Um, it's, it's recognized that it's real because it's happening right now, but it's not true because it doesn't define who I am. And in that moment of awareness, of spacious awareness, we recognize, just like when you look at the sky, right? A, a cloud, a dark cloud doesn't define the quality of the sky itself. It doesn't even, it doesn't even cover the, the, how bright the sun is. The sun is always shiny, honey, uh, no matter how, 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 how challenging the weather may be. So that's the recognition, right? Real versus true. And, and, then, and then seeing like, are you constantly, constantly entertaining these destructive states of mind? Are you constantly uh, entertaining these unwholesome feelings? Because if you are, then you, then you take spiritual inventory and then you start to apply an antidote. Then you do practices to, to process these feelings. Then you do forgiveness. Then you amend, your, you know, there's a variety. I mean, the, the book is an entire practice book. There's so many practices to help you to release the hook and get to know yourself in the here and the now. Um, and then slowly, slowly, you have that awareness, right? You know that when you become hooked, you know when your mind is like a Velcro, not velvet, you know when your mind is not silky and relaxed. I you know when you're taken for a loop in the past or in the future. And you could, in that very moment when you've been taken, what happens is beautiful when you train yourself moment to moment. The breath, instead of becoming more and more shallow, you know, shorter and shorter, it actually becomes deeper and longer. A mantra pours into your mind and rolls itself over all over your being. That's when you know you can rely on yourself. Uh, but it requires, it requires a, it's a, what I call it, it's a devotional obedience to the path. You know, it's a sweet obedience to, to, to your freedom. And asking yourself at the end of the day, how free do you want to be, honey? How free do you want to be? Let that question orient your day. It's so true. Well, it's two things come to mind is A, just you have the power to choose in all moments, which you talk about in the book. And it is true. Like you can choose how you want it to look or take over your life. But it's so true, like when I'm around like heavier people and by heavier, you know, like more depressed or tend to sit in the negative, it's exhausting. Yeah. And, and I, cause I look and I just wanna be like, you don't have, like, I mean, I don't say this cause as we know everyone has to go on their own journey, but like, I wanna shake the person and be like, you do not have to feel this way at all every single moment. It's just totally a choice. Like you can look at it this way, you can look at it that way. You know what I mean? And it is, 
And it reminds me, I'm like, oh God, they must be exhausted at all times. What an exhausting weight to bear in every moment to feel like everything has to be so negative and heavy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you are experiencing, you know, depression and you, you do, I mean, I work with private students who, who are, um, you know, having uh, this, getting support uh, through clinical treatment and then within six months to a year. And these are people who've like tried to commit suicide twice, who are on all kinds of medication. And with our work together, um, you know, six months, sometimes a year, the, they start to go off all the medication because a lot of the times um, we've become so comfortable with our, with our, with our suffering. We've become, we have overly identified so deeply with our complaining and our gossiping and our negative states of mind that to do anything different, it's so foreign, it's so unknown, it's so mysterious that we'd rather stay under the misery blanket. But our work as, as guides and support systems and, and sounding boards for in, in this world, uh, as these are, these are our, our, our dharma and this is our dharma in this lifetime, you know, it, it let our presence sort of communicate that they're, that they're okay. But then slowly, slowly, if you have these people in your lives who are constantly complaining, gossiping, numbing with drugs and alcohol and not really looking at themselves and taking radical responsibility that they are the creators of their experience, of all of their miracles, of all of their most iconic moments and all of their misery and nightmares. Like natural law of karma shows us that. And it's so beautiful when we radically accept yeah, we are the creative directors of our lives. Um, but with this knowing, you know, then slowly transfer your blessings, right? If there's people in front of you, there's a practice in a book called Tong Len, which is like taking their suffering and offering them a blessing, like breathing in their stuff. You could be doing, I do this in sessions sometimes when I have nothing wise to say, when, when students are just going off for like 20 minutes. And, and again, I, you know, like, like where I'm at now, it's with the membership and the app launch and all these things. Like I'm not seeing private students in this capacity anymore. I only have a handful of them. But oftentimes, or when I'm around certain kinds of people, you know, what I do is, is Tonglen, it's this tantric practice that it's, it really asks you to not be afraid of their suffering, to not be afraid of their pain, to not be afraid of their depression, to breathe it in as dark, dense smoke and breathe out this healing blue, gorgeous, delicious healing light toward into their being. So it's almost as if you're transmuting their energy for them. That's right. That's not- right at the capacity to do so. That's right, we all have that. And um, it's, it's epic when, because how afraid we are. We're like, oh no, I have way too much to think about. And we turn our blind, we turn our uh, blind eye when we see a homeless person. You know, I'm sure people listening to the podcast might be like, oh shit, I, I walked over a homeless person because I was trying to get to my class at the den on time. But you've missed the plot, right? The class happened right minutes before you got into the meditation. The class was outside, honey. The Buddha was sitting there. It was God in drag right there asking you to pivot your karma in that very moment. But you didn't choose to do that. You were so intoxicated with the potential that you would have from going to that class. And, and don't get me wrong. Don't get it out of context. You have to go to the den. You have to study. You have to practice. And then you actually have a, a wider view of what the practice lies for you. Um, but it's in these moments where we are like, oh, I don't want to breathe in their suffering. I don't want to take in their pain because I have, it's going to trigger my confusion. It's going to trigger my anger. It's going to trigger my depression. And I, I just got to this place. But it, the tantric path, you know, the tantric Buddhist path asks us to, to welcome these difficulties, welcome these challenges and sit in front of it and be like, okay, let me breathe you in. Let me see how, let, let me really test my material. And in that very moment, you realize like, oh, wow, 
my field of compassion is so wide, I can fit the whole world in it with no exception. But that takes the work, right? That takes you to, you know, train yourself, get to a place where you have a little glimpse of stability, you get a little glimpse of clarity, and then slowly, slowly you able to offer but test your material don't just stay intoxicated with the good feelings that your practice brings you that you forget the whole purpose you know you know this actually brings us back to that one of those first questions i asked that we never got to because it's about <laughs> compassion but how talk about that moment of holding that space for your parents to grow to where they got to but how hard i mean that's so hard for most people so just talk about that a little bit that's right um i think it, i think when we are when we are in relation right i, I think there's a, a lot of literature buddhist literature that speaks that all of our pain um comes from from relating to ourselves and to others right um so it's in relationship that we can you know transform and or or not you know or choose to stay stuck so in relating to people we have to recognize someone's present reality with all their knots and tendencies and behaviors and and all the stuff their present reality is clearly right in front of you and then we have to be aware of their potential right it's present reality and potential holding space for both now you have to know who are the people in your life who their present reality overshadows their potential so much so that their potential might not come to fruition in this lifetime. And you have to make peace with that. That's a, a moment of grief. That's a deep, sad moment of like, oh my God, just thinking about, it really just like, it brings up all the feels, full body chills again. It's like, and then you have to go through that process of grieving, right? Wow, this lifetime might not be the lifetime that they fully awaken to their potential. But then there are people in your life that you have to develop your patience, your best qualities of patience so much so that then you recognize that their present reality, yeah, it's, it's troublesome and it's challenging, but their potential is so evident. And I get a glimpse of their potential. You know, every few words, every couple actions, there's a little tiny bit that shows up. If these people are giving you a glimpse of their potential, then hold space for them, my love. Then keep them close. Then give them a chance. Give them a second chance. Give them a third chance. Give them 1,200 chances, you know? Because you, it, the, I mean, it, it's very moving for me to even say this, but it's, it's the amount of times. You know, my dad has never said the word I love you to me, ever. I'm 33 years old, honey. The little boy needed these words. Oh my God, I needed it so much. Like last couple of weeks ago when he came to LA, he didn't say I love you to me, but I showed him this Japanese badge that I wanted to buy. Very expensive bed, but that was the bed that I wanted it. I'm going to buy this badge. Um, but he said, no, let me build it for you. So he went to Home Depot, bought the wood. In the roof, he built the entire bed. If that's not his way of communicating love, then I don't know what is, you know? But if I was impatient with his potential, if I was impatient that his present reality was too glitchy for me, you know, and that opens the door for, 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 for people, you know, for all the people who hold on their boundaries so tight and they can't like release the hook a little bit and relax around the, around the, the glitchy waters, around the, the difficult place that they may be, may be in, in, their, in their relationship to their parents or partners or friends, whatnot. Um, but, you know, it requires that. It requires you, before you go off blaming other people, before you go off criticizing other people, before you go off saying, I need to have this strong boundary with you because you don't get my spiritual path. Baby, honey, darling, before you put up this wall, look at your mind. 
Look at your mind so much. So see if you have cultivated a sense of ease, a sense of patience, a sense of kindness and sweetness enough towards yourself, enough that then if at that point their glitchy and crunchiness is still so evident and still so violating, then you, then you go to the next stage with boundaries and everything else. But I think people put up these walls and block people and cancel people without having done the work in themselves. It's spiritual bypassing is so, it's so problematic in our world. It's like, you are the sole cause of my misery. You're the sole cause of my happiness. Come here and go away. It's like, boo, have you looked at your mind? Have you recognized that people that work in the government of the United States are utterly traumatic and challenging people who didn't get the love and care that they needed, but they're showing us our mind, that they're showing us our mind. They're showing us our blind spots. They're showing us where we need work. That's challenging to hear. When I, people tell me that I put Trump in my altar, people freak the fuck out, you know, not as a center of worship, but as a center of work. As a, as a guru to show my mind, where am I lacking compassion? Can I look at this person with love? And it's not a, it's not a love that, that bypasses all the trouble that, that this person is, is, is implicating to millions of people's lives. No. It's a love that recognizes their pain. It's a love that accepts where they are. It's a compassion that sends them blessings, regardless of how traumatic this person's existence might be in the lives of millions of people. And I don't mean to get political, but I'm using this example that's very challenging for a lot of people. Put that into your altar. Bring your mom into your altar, honey. Bring your dad. Bring that person, that third grade teacher who said you never amount to anything. Bring the high school teacher who, who was extremely verbally abusive to you. Bring these people into your altar. Work with them so much so that you walk around and you, you, know, you continue your path forward. Do you, so talk about you and your altar a little bit and like Trump. So do you, is this a daily thing for you? But like, talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I'll give you an example. Like uh, I was in Florida a couple of days ago and I'm running, I'm, I'm going on these long runs. It's so beautiful there and I love the heat just to sweat a lot. And I'm seeing all these uh, golf carts going by with the Trump flags, massive Trump flags. And my initial tendency, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous to say it out loud. My initial tendency is to say, is to blur out, fuck you. And then I'm like, shit, bless you, make me happy. You know, but like, so working that out, like recognizing that pausing, breathing. And then the next golf cart that came by, I just said, may you be happy. May you be free of suffering. You know? <laughs> and, but that is the work. That is, that is putting Trump on your altar. That is putting the challenging people on your altar. And then flying back to LA last night, the person next to me is watching a, a, a speech on Trump. And that, that immediate thing, I ended up taking a photo, sending to this guy that I'm talking to and be like, oh my God, what a blessing sitting next to a Trump supporter. Thank you so much. Initially, I found myself wanting to perform and to be like hyper queer in a way that would make someone uncomfortable. And I was like, girl, relax, be you, be you. Be you so much so, and then being me so much so, what came up? A most delicious blessing towards their well-being. And then later on, what happened? This is the magical thing. I'm glad we're bringing this up because I ended up listening in to their conversation. This is a father and son conversation. And how kind they were to the flight attendants. Most people on the flight, they're like, would you like some water? No. They don't even look up. No, thanks. Do you have trash? I, here we go. Thank you for your work. Nothing. People on the flight, they're just like, 
yeah. whatever. They just treat them as like, these are not humans. They're here to serve me, whatever. But this father's son, the way they communicated to the flight attendant, I was baffled. Thank you very much. How, how's it going for you? Thank you. Living the flight, I'm walking behind it. I'm doing the work, right? I'm doing my, my little work to sort of, you know, really recognize that once I, once I enter the mindset of blessing, once I enter a blessing factory mindset, I'm looking out for blessings. And then I'm listening to these guys, how they're communicating with each other, how they're communicating to the, to the person at the baggage um, 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 claim, all the people in the airplane, all the people in the airport. Such kind, gentle, sweet people. I was like, oh, shit. There it is. Point taken, honey. May you be happy. So it's about us switching our mindset. It's about us recognizing that no matter, you know, someone's, um, you know, uh, behavior, to not let their behavior and their words um, often completely overshadow the fact that they have this seed of potential of complete freedom at the base of their being. And, and this might sound a little like contradicting to what I said earlier, but everything is, is a, you have to test your material in every circumstance, right? So you have to look at every opportunity to see where you're at and how do you respond to what is wisdom? What does compassion and wisdom look like in this moment? What does compassion and wisdom look like in this moment? And you only, you know, you know, depending on the depth of your work, depending on, on, on the depth of your, of your devotional obedience to be free. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's really good advice because this is going to come out, the election will have passed. So regardless who wins or what happens, I think it's going to be a really strenuous, I should say tenuous also, and just really tough time for a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of people. I think it's just going to be a tough time. So I think this is really good advice because I think, yeah, it's interesting to see that um, this election is very personal for a lot of people. So depending on how it turns out on both sides, I feel like the fall emotionally is going to be pretty far. Oh, honey, I remember when Trump got elected, I went to do this morning sober rave in New York and I didn't dance at all for three hours. I just cried in a corner, <laughs> literally like devastated, you know? Um, yeah. So I can only imagine what this will do. Yeah. And what do you recommend for people? Just send blessings and... Breathe, honey. Freedom starts with the breath. You know, breathe. Retrain your breathing. Deep, long belly breath. That's where you strengthen your, your, your innate capacity to see things through a different light. You know, to see, to see things through a perspective that's not so crunchy and and flawed and, and, and ugly to see things with a little bit more harmony, right? It starts with the breath and then concentrate your mind, concentrate your mind every day, you know, as you land at the breath and gather all the energy of the mind and the feeling of the breath and just rest there for a little while, rest there. And then pray, prayer, you know, whatever you believe in, just pray for the highest good of all, for the highest good of all. And your prayers for the highest good of all. You know, attach altruistic motivation to everything you do, you know, and then go be of service, right? Whatever happens, you want to transform your mind completely. Put on a mask. And I'm talking about psychological mask. I'm talking about a COVID mask mm -hmm. and go, go to the shelter, go to the shelter for the day, go make a beautiful meal, you know, um, or, or go create these little care packages and go to Skid Row or wherever it is that you live and create these care packages and go drop it off. 
Go be of service to those who have nothing. That's where transformation happens. That's where the true spiritual path happens, you know? We're so deeply privileged. It's like almost insane to think about it, right? But because of that insanity, we have to use that as fuel for genuine service, you know? There's no love and light unless poverty is gone. There's no love and light unless there's equal rights. Love and light is fluff, it's bullshit. Oneness doesn't get a homeless person off the streets into a job, into a home. Oneness didn't get me a job, didn't get me out of depression, you know? It's an action. Compassion requires action. And that's what I have to offer. It's like, don't do well for too long on what's, what, what the, on the, you know, on, on all the traumatic feelings that will come up because of the election, whatever way it goes. Don't do well for too long. When is enough enough? Only you know, but then go be of service. Go support people, you know, and go support people who you never, you know, if you have homophobic tendencies, which a vast majority of people do, especially if they don't have any gay friends in their lives, Go to the queer shelter, spend time there, feel so deeply uncomfortable, but know that that discomfort is gonna set you so free. If you don't have any black or brown friends, go to their shelter, go spend time there. You know, go put your life on the line for a change. That will set you free. That will literally set you free, honey. Like <laughs> you can meditate for, you could, you could literally do the thing I've done earlier on my path. You can meditate for hours a day. You can do the thing I did, go to these caves in, in Everest region and do all this epic shit that I was able to do. Thank God, thank you, karmically blessed like that. But then real transformation only happens out of the cave on the street, in the service. It's where real transformation happens, you know? Use your money wisely, use your attention wisely, use your time wisely in service of others. And that's where you're genuinely gonna find happiness. That's literally the wisest thing I have to offer, you know? That's amazing. That's such a great place to end before we do your four use, which are just four quick takeaways. And then we're gonna do your personal practice, which you were doing a five to 10 minute practice on how to be your own guru, which is one of the chapters in the book. I can't recommend enough We'll do these for you, but for you guys to get the book, I mean, obviously you have, like you said, such a digestible way of communicating transformation and it's, um, cannot be here at a more prevalent time. So thank you. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me what is your must have right now in your life? Must have in my life right now, sweats, comfy sweats. Yeah. I love it. Um, what do you do when you first wake up? Prayer. There's two, there's two sets. One, it's a prayer that reminds me that I may die today. Um, and because of that mortality, awareness of mortality, may I only do the things that matter most to me that could have the greatest impact on as many people as possible. The prayer actually asks you to say at 6 p.m. I know I will die. I'm not there yet. I just say I may, because I know I may die today. That's as far as I'm, I'm going right now. Um, and I remind myself of all of my best qualities. And I take refuge on the Buddha Dharma Sangha and I say seven different uh, mantras. That's the first thing I do. I go into child's pose and I do that. No matter if I'm next to a lover, you know, someone who I just met and I, we, you know, sleep together and I'm like, uh, you know, next to them, I don't give a fuck who's listening and I'm going to do my thing because that's how I'm going to orient my mind towards service and towards transformation. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. So you, you do in child's pose in bed? Is that what you're saying? I love yeah. that. <laughs> Um, what is there a food or a drink or something you're obsessed with? <sighs> what am I obsessed with right now? Um, oh my God, there is this kombucha that has, it's made with honey and it is just like, I can't drink the whole thing because it's so sweet, but it's just like 
it's a nectar of the gods. It's like, oh my God, I drink it. I'm like, oh, what is this, honey? I forgot the name. It's in a purple bottle. Maybe I'll text you when I, when I see it again at the supermarket that I go to. We'll put it in show notes because I struggle with kombucha. So if I could find one that I like, I'd be very Yeah, excited. yeah. That's amazing. Is there one book that you recommend above besides your own, of course, but is there something that influenced you the most as you were going through your journey? In Love with the World is called a book. In Love with the World. Yeah. It's by uh, Mingyum Rinpoche, an iconic radical saint who still lives. And if you have the privilege and the time and the means to go see this person, please, for the benefit of all beings, go do yourself a favor. He lives in Nepal. Clearly, you can't go now, but uh, he has a lot of things online. Uh, it's called In Love with the World, Mingya Rinpoche. The book talks about his journey as this like iconic radical saint that the whole you know, Buddhist world looks up to as a fully awakened being. And in him living this pedestal and going off on this like long retreat alone as a, as a wandering homeless mystic. It's just like... I can't enough. Um, and uh, Cave in the Snow by Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo. Uh, she is the person who have taken my bodhisattva vows with. Um, she spent 12 years in a cave, just casually, you know, becoming of benefit to all people. Yeah, so much so that Delilah was like, girl, time to come down, honey. Go, go teach what you've learned. Uh, and she's also iconic. Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo is her name and the other teachers, uh, Mingyo Rinpoche. Don't ask me to spell that though. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. You're amazing. Thank you for this conversation. I can't wait for you to do your personal practice. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being love and light and, and all of reality that is tied with it. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, you say it in your book too. It's like light and dark is part of every single moment. And that's, that's the reality. That's right. Until <laughs> it's not anymore, until we wipe out duality, but we got to dance with the duality until we become completely free. Let's all become good dancers. I like it. That's right. Thank you. Of course, love. Thank you. So now Sa is going to lead us in his personal practice, which is how to be your own guru. Okay, so let's begin. Um, I invite you to sit up with the keywords intentionality and grace. Maybe you're sitting on the chair, how I am, or you're sitting on a meditation cushion on the floor. And go ahead and scan your internal world briefly, looking, using the mind's eye to scan your internal landscape. See if you're holding on to any tension in the body. And then take a deep breath in through the nose and a long exhale through the mouth. Let's go all together. Deep breath in and long exhale through the mouth. Let's do one more actually. I need it. Deep breath in through the nose. Long exhale through the mouth. And if you haven't closed your eyes yet, I invite you to close them. Otherwise, find a spot ahead of you to gaze, preferably gazing at something that's not moving. 
And let's begin our practice. <clears throat> just concentrate the mind just for a few moments here. Gather all the energy of the mind of the feeling of the breath and the body. You know, traditionally there's four main areas that you can rest your attention. Tip of the nose, upper lip, point in the chest, point in the belly. Where is it for you, my love? And wherever it is, see if you can gather all of your attention and rest it on the feeling of the breath. And where the breath meets your attention, that's your home base. So see if you can be in your home base just for, we're literally only gonna be here before we transition into our visualization practice for two minutes. So do your best effort to not get carried away into any internal distractions or external distractions. And just notice when you've become carried away and come back, back into the home base. Come back to the breath. And then let go of the breath, let go of the breath, and we're gonna use our imagination for this practice, okay? So do your best effort to use the energy of the mind to visualize as clear as you possibly can. My guidance. So you just heard that there's an enlightened being, a fully awakened guru living on a mountaintop in a remote part of the world. You get really excited about it. And you decide, I'm gonna go meet this guru. I don't care how far it is, I don't care what it takes, I'm going. So you pack your bags. You know exactly what to pack. You know exactly what you want to wear when you meet the enlightened guru. 
And then you get on a plane, a long plane ride. The excitement is now mixed with fear, with doubt. What's going to happen when I sit in front of this guru, in front of this enlightened saint? And you arrive, plane lands. You take a this little car, tiny little car. And you drive up the mountain, this little village. You drop your bags off in the guest house. You drink some water and you're determined to go meet this enlightened being here and now. So maybe decide to brush your teeth the long ride. Maybe you want to drink a coffee or have a bite of some fruit. You get ready. You look back in your notes where the guru is. You put on your hiking boots. And then you start tracking up the mountain. And on your way up the mountain, you start to reflect. What is that I want to ask this living being, this living saint? And you settle on this one question. You're hiking up the mountain. It's beautiful, sunny, fall, early morning. You can feel the breeze on your cheeks, the crisp air as you continue to hike up the mountain. And you realize that you're close. So you stop, you open your backpack, you get a fruit from your bag as an offering. And there you are in front of this cave. And in there you see this guru, this living guru, the saint, seeing cross-legged right in front of you. His eyes are closed. They are in meditation. 
And as you continue to walk, closer and closer to the entry of the cave, they open their eyes, big smile on their face, waves you in, waves you in. You sit right in front of them. Offer the fruit. And you ask them the question. And as you ask the question, listen deeply and attentively to the answers. You say thank you. You bow in gratitude. And you start to make your way out of the cave, down from the mountaintop. And then slowly, slowly, my love, we're going to bring this practice into a close. I invite you to bring your hands and pray in front of your heart, if you like, for the universal gesture of gratitude. And just offer a gratitude for your practice, for your effort. And may the insights that you have received from this practice, may you continue to actualize them at the heart level. May we offer it offer the merit to all people with no exception. May all beings with no exception have these insights. And then slowly you can bring a gentle smile to the corner of your lips. And you can blink your eyes open. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for your practice. TED Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search TED Talks podcast, and join us there.